listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. A native of Omaha and graduate of Xavier University of New Orleans, Camille Matoyer Moten has been singing and acting in the city and surrounding region for 35 plus years. Often described as Omaha's most versatile singer, she is an independent singer-songwriter and performs for many special events around the city as a guest soloist, and also has her own pop jazz band that performs at various locations in Omaha and also for special events around the state. Her theater performance credits include starring roles in Ragtime, Evita, Funny Girl, Tarzan, Little Women, and Having Our Say. Musical travels have taken her to Barcelona, Spain, with an upcoming performance at a festival in Germany. She's been a recipient of several awards, including the Omaha Entertainment and Arts Award, Theater Arts Guild, and Fonda McGuire Awards. Guest solo appearances have included events such as the Omaha Symphony, Wind Symphony, Jazz on the Green, and the Governor's Arts Ball. Camille was nominated as Top Jazz Vocalist for 2015 in Omaha and has been inducted into the Omaha Black Musicians Hall of Fame. She has released three CDs, Go Forward, Simpler Christmas, and Classic. Camille's one-woman shows, as well as her performances with Cabaret Theater and Kathy Tyree Productions, have been fan favorites. She has two grown children and has been married for 42 years. Camille Matoyer-Moten, welcome to the Green Room. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. So as Maria Von Trapp would say, yes. let's start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. <laughs> Where are you from originally? I'm from Omaha originally. You are. Yes, I'm an Omaha, as my mother-in-law used to say, an Omaha-ian. Okay. <laughs> an Omaha-ian. Yeah. I love that. Tell me about your mother and your father. Oh, I had great parents. They were great people and they were very active in civil rights and um, really taught us, you know, about being fair and what people deserved and all those kinds of things. So we just sort of grew up in a home of a lot of pride in who we were and they taught us to fight for what was right. And yeah, they were they were great people. Uh, sadly, they both died very early. My mother was 42 and she died of brain cancer. And then my dad died at 51, and he was actually shot. He was uh, killed. We had a barbecue restaurant on uh, on 24th Street, and uh, a disgruntled employee came in and, and shot him and oh. sadly killed him. But he was a great guy. He was, at one time, he was the president of the Nebraska Urban League. And so, you know, they just, I mean, I got to meet, like, Malcolm X and Jesse James and different people because of, you know, his, his stature in the community. So they were awesome. They were awesome people. <laughs> what part of Omaha did you grow up in? Well, we lived on the north side until I was 11. And we moved because, first of all, the my dad, because he was connected, was aware that the interstate was going to come through and just divide that neighborhood. And our house was right in the, in the path of that. But also, at that same time, my older brother was going to Tech Junior High School. And he was staying after school one day, helping to check in the new books for the school and opened the book and there was all these other names in it and come to find out these were not new books, they were the rejected books from West Omaha. So when my parents found out about that, they sort of went to the school board, had a discussion and they decided, well, we can't change this while the kids are in school, our kids are in school now, so we'll just move to where the better schools are. So then we moved to West Omaha. And which, where, which was well, where at well, that time? At that time, right, it was 99th and Manderson, Maple Village. But it was funny because, you know, it was that redlining thing was going on then and black people were not really able to move out of the out of the north side. But my parents had a friend that was a black realtor who had a friend that was a white realtor and they sort of underhandedly bought that house. So the neighbors didn't even know we were coming until we showed up uh, and they were not happy about it. But uh, <laughs> but that's how that's how we did it. It was 1966. And so then from uh, 11 years old on, I lived, I went to Morton Junior High School and then Burke High School for busing. So I was like one of three black kids in every school that wow. I went to. Right? Okay. Yeah. And you have how many siblings do you have? I have three. 
I have an older brother. I have, well, I have my older sister, Lynette, who also does theater. Yep. She's pretty crazy. And then I have an older brother, Ray, who used to do uh, news here in town. I a, know it. Yeah. I loved Ray Matoyer. <laughs> I was I was a kid when he was on TV. Yeah. And I remember went back when... When we did Pirates of Penzance yeah. together for Opera Omaha, right. my mom was in that, yeah. and uh, that was the first time I met you, I think. Right. And mom said, you know, her brother is Ray Matoyer, and I'm like, <laughs> I loved Ray Matoyer. She goes, I know, I that's know. what I'm telling you. So, okay, so Lynette and yeah. Ray. And Ray, and then I have a younger brother, Louis, who's a fabulous guitarist, and he lives in uh, L.A., and has traveled all around the world and played with all kinds of famous people, and um, he's, he's an amazing guitarist. But he's five years younger than me. We have the same birthday. He was born on my birthday five years. He took my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's got like dreadlocks down to his knees. So you said you went to Morton Middle School Morton. then and then Burke. Yeah. When would you say your love of music was born? Was it when you were in school? Was it something that you and your family? Yeah. Yeah. So my mother was a frustrated singer. And so the legend goes that Duke Ellington came to town and she actually auditioned for him and he was interested in her coming on tour with him, but she was engaged to my dad at the time. So she gave up, you know, and so we used to always tease her. It was like, mom, if you'd have gone with Duke Ellington, we'd be famous now. And she said, if I would gone with Duke Ellington, you wouldn't be here. She kind of put it all in perspective. But I started singing. I mean, this was kind of a family joke, but when I was like three years old and I didn't know any songs, but I wanted to sing. So I would sing about like the furniture. And so I would make up these songs about the table and the chair and the light and the drapes, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my mom would be like, oh, honey, sing me that furniture song. <laughs> but I just wanted to sing, you know, and so I just sang and then, and she was a singer. And so we were listening to great jazz albums and stuff and we would just sing all together. And all of us were, were pretty musical. I remember when I was in the first grade, we were at Sacred Heart, we were Catholic. So we were at Sacred Heart Church for, for a while. And that was my stage debut, I was six. And my Ray and Lynette and I sang uh, Do Re Mi from The Sound of Music. And I was the one that always had to go, Do, and then they would do all the, you know, <laughs> all the rest of it. But I mean, it was so, I was so, I loved it so much. I remember it even now. I can just close my eyes and see myself on that stage looking out at, at, the, at the audience, you know. So Sacred Heart was my stage debut. Right? <laughs> Did you participate in any musical performances or show choir well I don't know if they they didn't have show choir if they had right. show choir or glee club or I yeah. you know I know they had some of that probably when you were in high school it just probably yeah. went by a different name right. so yeah. were you involved with that mm -hmm. we had um, concert choir and ensemble was the elite group that would kind of travel around and sing and so I was in both of those and and I did all the musicals and all the plays when I was in at Burke you know in fact you remember Pam Carter yes we were in the same great and so we got to do uh, MAME together. She was MAME and I was Vera you know so that was a lot of fun. The interesting thing though about that because of that time period um, and you know one of three black kids in the school you know my goal my dream was to have the lead in the musical as a senior because you know you kind of worked your way you know up so and so when I was a senior the musical was Guys and Dolls. And so I auditioned, and I was a soprano then. Every year, I, you know, now I'm a baritone. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I auditioned for Sarah, you know, the role. And, and I got cast as the general, like a small speaking part, which was like, what is happening? And it was really upsetting. My mother was dying of brain cancer at the same time. And it was just really a bad time. But my drama teacher, Miss Schaefer, came to me and said, and with tears, she said, you have to know that that music teacher said he wasn't having any black girl kiss a white boy on his stage, and that is why you don't have the lead. And you need to know this because I don't want you to be discouraged in your you know, motivation to continue. And I'm so grateful to her, even to this day, because I needed, I needed to hear that. You know? Sure. But so, yeah. So, yeah, that was my, that was my high school year. <laughs> what year and was that? This was 1972. And yeah. now I'm in the Burke High School Hall of Fame. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Burke has had a number of mm -hmm. 
theater artists mm-hmm. right, that yeah. have that have come out, out of there. Of there yeah. I've I've seen a number of things yeah. at Burke and Emily I'm gonna have Emily McCriskey on as well. And yeah. So she's continuing that right that line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, several people, Paul Trenisi, Pam, um, I'm probably, Becky Noble. I'm probably going to forget some people because I forget we even went to high school together because we're so old. It's been so long. <laughs> I was like, weren't we born together? <laughs> same hospital, same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you graduated Burke and then you went to Xavier University. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that process, how you decided on Xavier and all of that. Yeah, so that was kind of a weird thing. I, um, I really had wanted, planned to try to go to school in California because I, first of all, like warm weather, although I'm still here. And I just kind of wanted to try to get into the industry somehow, you know, and I thought California would be the place to do it. And so I, uh, but my mother died. And when I was, we, you know, people came for her funeral. Well, there was a man that had worked at Boys Town with my dad, who was the head of the music department at Boystown, but he'd moved down to be the head of the music department at Xavier University. And he came to the funeral and he said, so I hear you're like, you know, really, you know, whatever, interested in music. And I said, yeah. But I had sort of slowed down any pursuit of anything because, you know, when your mother's dying, you just kind of things just kind of fall off the whatever. And so he said, well, why don't you come down to Xavier? Why don't you come and audition? Maybe you can get a scholarship or whatever. I'm like, New Orleans? Whoever even thought of New Orleans? I had never even, New Orleans was not on my radar at all. But I just needed to, I needed to get away. So, um, so my dad and I went down and I auditioned. I got a small scholarship and that's how I ended up there. It was a, such a fluke. But the funny thing is my husband always says, cause he was trying to get to California the same time I was, but it didn't work out. And so I ended up in New Orleans where he was. And so there we met. <laughs> I think it did work out. Right. 42 years later. So you had a scholarship. So did you go as straight musical or was it musical theater? It was a uh, performance. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, but it was, it was funny because, you know, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of experience other than high school stuff, you know, and, and it's actually a school that trains for people to go on and to go to real opera schools or whatever. So I got classically trained, which was great, which gives me that versatility. But I was so unprepared. I remember my very first, uh, it wasn't actually a recital, but it was like all the vocal students had to sing a song. And these kids got up and they had these voices like, whatever. And I was like so intimidated. I, li- I was singing Carl Mio Ben. It was like, <laughs> and I'm looking at all these faces I'm like what is that <laughs> anyway I got I got more confident as I, as I went along isn't isn't that always the way <laughs> yeah I remember I remember when I first went and auditioned at the University of Nebraska Lincoln mm-hmm. uh, it was like my freshman week and yeah. I literally had just gotten bombed out of you know getting into a sorority and I was all oh, upset yeah. and, and my mom suggested that I go to theater auditions and I walked in I'm in jeans and a t-shirt mm-hmm. and here are all the theater majors and their dresses right. and their suits and I almost <laughs> turned around and walked out and their stuff's memorized and I'm like I, I don't know right I, yeah and I ended up as Martha Cratchit in a Christmas Carol and here we are there, there you go. <laughs> so when you were there, El, tell me about Ellis Marcellus. So yeah, so that's Wynton went, went Marcellus's dad, right? Yeah. And he was good friends with our the jazz band uh, instructor. And so I sang with them, you know, and he would play. So it was like, I mean, who, you know, at that time it was like, who Wynton was probably four. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, and he was great. He was nice. And, you know, he was a fabulous pianist. And I just, you know, like years later when Wynton became popular, I'm like, oh, that's, uh, that's that was uh, Ella, his dad is Ellis. And I do think that Wynton actually came because I do remember him bringing his kids one time. But, you know, who, who knew then that they were going to be right. what they were. But right. yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's. How, so I ended up singing with the jazz band and we would travel around and and do some stuff. And I sang with the concert choir, and we also did some traveling and stuff like that. So it was it was fun. So when did you move back to Omaha? 1979. I, so I finished school. So I married Michael, finished school, had a baby, like within, you know, I, I think we got married in July. I had a baby the next July. And in that time, I graduated, graduated from school. Um, and so we were just, you know, living in New Orleans. Now, that, the other part of that is, after I went to Xavier, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to try to 
make it on Broadway. And I have a cousin who lives there who's an artist, and she's, you know, so those were our big plans. I was going to move to New York. We were going to be like this starving artist, you know, whatever, whatever. And then I got married. To this day, she's like, yeah, you deserted me. But, uh, (laughs) and she's done fabulous stuff. So I ended up just, you know, there, and I worked like as a pharmaceutical technician and all that kind of stuff. But all the time I wanted to do something I wanted to give back. I wanted to make some sort of difference, you know. And uh, in 79, um, in August of 79, my grandfather passed away. And so I came up here for the funeral. And my dad was telling me about how Boys Town had gone to this family teaching model where you worked with these kids and, you know, to help change their lives around. I thought, man, that, that sounds like something I really would like to do. And so I went back to New Orleans and I was talking to Michael about it and because I really did not like New Orleans. It was hot and there were a lot of bugs and I really wanted to kind of get out of there. But anyway, uh, so I talked to him about it and he was, you know, up for it. So we came up to interview to be family teachers and we got hired. And um, so that's how we got back to Omaha. Now, the sad thing about that is I, we came up and we interviewed and all that kind of stuff. And we flew back down to New Orleans to prepare to come back, and then that's when my the woman killed my dad. So he before we even got back here, that was you know he was gone. So it was kind of bittersweet moving back because I sort of was looking forward to us working at the same place and all that kind of stuff, you know. But you know it is what it is. Mikey by that time was two years old, my my oldest child who's about to turn forty two, and I don't know how we how how are we the same age? This is what I'm trying <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> I'm going to swing back for one second. So tell me about meeting your husband. Oh, okay. So this is funny. He was, now I, you know, I, I, I didn't like, hang, I didn't do any sorority things and I didn't really hang with a lot of people. I just had a tiny little group of friends and he was not going to school there. He was hanging out at the school there because Xavier had the reputation of having the most, that had, had the most beautiful women of all the schools there, which had I known that I wouldn't have gone there, but anyway, oh, stop. <laughs> so he would just like hang out there and he had some friends. And, um, so he would just be like on this corner with his friends and they would just stand there laughing and talking. And I would watch him from my friend's dorm room because he just had this laugh that was like, I just loved it. And he would clap his hands and I thought, boy, he looks like he's having a lot of fun. He looks kind of, and at the same time, he would watch me as I walked on campus and he always thought, wow, she's so cool. She's so independent. She doesn't need people and blah, 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 blah. Well, and then one day somebody had a party and we both ended up at the party at the same time. And. So this was before my Christian days. We were all kind of wild. But he was sitting on the floor, and he had an earring in his ear. And I thought that was awesome, because, you know, it was back right before all that stuff was just normal. And then he asked me to dance, and then that was it. We were been together ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so you come back to Omaha, and you start at Boys Town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how was that for you? Well, it was it was interesting at first. It was it was like, you know, if you look at the, the, the 10 top things on the stress scale or whatever, I, I had all those things going on because I lost a loved one. I changed jobs. I had a two-year-old. And then we had like the most stressful job because we had kids that had behavioral problems, you know. Um, but with a lot of prayer, we made it through. And it wasn't until, so we started there in 79. In 81, Paul Trenisi called me and he said, hey, you know, they're doing Jesus Christ Superstar down at the Orpheum, and maybe you want to try out, maybe you could get in the pit chorus. And I thought, oh, that would be fun to start singing again. And and so I went down, and I auditioned. Kate Schrader was there, and uh, Rita Glass was the, music, was the artistic director. And I got Mary Magdalene. And so that sort of started everything, you know, I got, I got the role, we did the show. I mean, my first, my launch, in Omaha performing was for 2,000 people at the at the Orpheum. So that was kind of crazy. But then after that, it, started, it led to more studio work and more shows. And, you know, I got a good review, which helped. And, and it just sort of, you know, catapulted from there. So what started first? Your bigger roles at the Omaha Community Playhouse and your branching out to do other musical theater or your music ministry? 
Well, or did they start they, at the same they time? They kind of were, yeah, going at the same time, you know, because of church. I was doing my music ministry there, and then I was also doing the other things. But, you know, it just made me, because of my convictions as a Christian, I have to be careful of the roles that I take, you know, and all that kind of thing. But, but it's, you know, it's worked out fine. I just, I do what, and, you know, and, and, when, and if a door opens, I always pray about it. You know, it's like if a door opens, I always say, okay, Lord, if this is what I'm supposed to do, let it happen. If it's not, block it. And so it's always it's always worked that way. Things some things have been blocked, and I, I don't care because if he's blocked it, there's a reason, you know. Right. So I'm better off listening and to his guidance than to have some role that I think is maybe I would have bombed in or fallen off the stage, or I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna profess my ignorance here. I don't know which came first, Fanny Bryce or Ava Perone. Ava Perone came okay. first. Yeah, that was uh, that was my very first role at the Playhouse. It, it was funny because I really, I really wanted the Mistress. I wanted, I loved that song, and that was the role that I was auditioning for. And uh, it was, and I had auditioned for The King and I before that. And Charles Jones told me he said I was too young to play. What's her name in The King and I? That lady. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Deborah I can't think Carr, of it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Deborah Carr. Right. Opposite of Yul Brynner. Yeah, right. <laughs> that one. <laughs> that one. And um, <laughs> I don't know musical theater I, names. Well, and I don't have a memory, so there you go. <laughs> Together, we're just gonna be. Like, uh. Anyway, so he told me I was too young, so I didn't get cast in that show. And then I came back for Evita, and he said I was too young for, or too old for the mistress. I'm like, well, let's get this straight. But then. <laughs> I was okay for Evita, which, you know, they double cast it. Sue Perkins shared that role with me, which was good because at that time we were doing eight shows a week and it's a very vocally intense show. So, you know, it was, it was a better, it was a better option to do that. So it was interesting though, because every night they would announce who was going to play the role before we came out. And John Morrissey was Juan Perón, and okay. we would be standing together, and they would say, and tonight the role of Ava Perón will be played by Camille Matoria Moten, and I would turn to him, I'm like, I can hear people getting up and leaving. <laughs> <laughs> was there any blowback to the Playhouse I, for your casting yeah. as Ava Perón? There was one, I know of one, they only told me about one person that actually left and said they didn't want to see a black person playing that role. But other than that, I don't know, I mean, I ended up, with the better review and the Fonda McGuire. So <laughs> I think now this was funny that I had a friend that was sitting in the audience and uh, she, and when I came out, the one whispered to the other, they must've powdered her. <laughs> I was like, if there's a powder like that, black people were wearing that all the time to go for a job interview. <laughs> there are no powders. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but you know, I mean, that was all that I ever, I ever heard of. But that, but John always said that Sue would say the same thing to him when they would say Sue Perkins is going to roll play the role tonight. She would turn and say, "I hear everybody's." <laughs> so it, it was kind of a little paranoia thing, you know. Right. You, you, there's a little bit of a, I don't know, a weird competition of are they going to like me as much as they like that? Sure. You know, kind of a thing. So I don't know. Well, I, I don't recommend that's... that if it, if you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's that. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Fanny Bryce. My dream role. Yeah, I know. I'm a big Barbara Streisand fan. I know. I know. You so, have a lot in your in your one-woman show. Yes, yes. Tell me about your experience with Funny Girl. So, oh, it was awesome. I, now, that was the one. I went to the auditions and, you know, ended up doing the show. And uh, somebody else said to somebody else, how is she going to play that role when she's black? You know, that whole thing. But... But, you know, most people are like, what is wrong with you? Don't, you know, so, you know, and then I just hear about it later, you know, and right. I don't care. But I found out year, uh, months after that, because Charles Jones got sick in the middle of our rehearsal process. And so I wrote him a letter and I just told him oh, how grateful I was that, you know, he had given me that role. And he called me and he said, darling. <laughs> <laughs> As only he can. As only he can. When I heard that was your dream role, I put it on the schedule. I know, right? So what? Either he was on drugs and didn't know what he was saying or... No, I think he knew exactly <laughs> what he was saying. But it was it was awesome. I just loved every minute of it. I had a great time. I don't know. It's just a great memory. And, you know, I'm just really grateful that I got to do it. In fact, I was so happy. I thought, well, I don't need to do anything else. I'm done now. <laughs> right? but, well, you know, when that's your number one on your bucket list. Yeah, yeah. What year was that? That was in 94. 
93. 93. It was in 93. And that was the funny thing, because I had just said, if they had, somebody doesn't do Funny Girl pretty soon, I'm going to be too old, because I was 38. And I think it was that same day or that same week or something, but Randy Stevens called me and he said, guess what? They put Funny Girl on the schedule. And I'm like, I was just thinking I'm a bit too old. I can't believe this. Ah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so it was great. Tell me about your experience with Ragtime. They're going to be doing it again at the Playhouse um, later on this year. But tell me about, I saw that original, uh, original, I mean, it wasn't the original original, obviously, but I saw it when it was done at the Playhouse the last time. It was a very, one of the best shows I've ever seen at the Playhouse. And I know people still talk about that production. Talk to me about that. It was awesome. It was sort of like the perfect storm. You had... Kevin, you know, who was just Kevin Morrow, who they brought in, um, and he was just phenomenal in the role. And Don Buller, Kirk, Buller, Kirk, Don. Don Buller, Kirk. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, was perfect as mother. Um, just so, just a cast of like the, the most, the strongest, I think, at the time. People that were really committed and dedicated to the message of the, of the thing. And it just... It just emanated on stage to the to the audience, and and the the fun thing for me, aside from being able to play that, was that my son of my son got to play Little Cole House. He was three at the time, so he got to be in the show too, which was which was he's sixteen now and six foot one, but <laughs> <laughs> but that was the cool part. He got to do it, and then my nephew Lynette's uh, grandson played. They alternated, but it was it was really awesome, and that. And the the unity that happened in that cast, I mean, I think they still meet from bonding from that show. But I think a lot of it just had to do with the message of it and the the feeling that everybody got from doing it, you know. So yeah, it was it was really awesome. I, I really I'm glad that I participated. I, I actually I thought I was too old to play Sarah. I mean, she's supposed to be like nineteen or twenty. I was fifty one. <laughs> but you know from a distance <laughs> I think it actually took me a long time to start looking old I think you I did yeah <laughs> okay let me rephrase that you, yeah, you're right like you look old now <laughs> no I do well I am old but you know when I was in my 50s it, it still you know people didn't think I was in my 50s right. so now I'm in my 60s nobody's saying you don't look like you're in your 60s <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who think that you don't look like you're in your 60s. Oh, well, I don't know. Those are the blind people. That's probably. (laughs) (laughs) Having our say. Yes. This was a show that it's one of my top regrets that I didn't get out to get to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard such wonderful things about it. And I just, I don't remember. I had something going on at the time and and I couldn't make it out there. But... Talk to me about working with Lynette, working with your sister. Now, was that the first time you had done a show together? Or? No, it wasn't the first time. We had done things together at the Rose Theater, with Emmy Gifford, when it was the Emmy Gifford. In fact, we they sort of banned us from there because <laughs> it's her fault. It's always <laughs> her fault. Next week on the podcast, <laughs> Lynette Medoyer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Point counterpoint. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm not kidding. One time we were we were doing, uh, I think it was best Christmas pageant ever at the at the Emmy Gifford, and she made us late. <laughs> like the show started at two, we got there at two twenty, and we started the show. We started the show. With sing, by singing uh, A Christmas Carol, right? And so they were waiting. I was so mad at her. And there was snowing outside and we came in. It was pitch black. We couldn't see anything. We got to our spot to you know, go out on stage and we would walk out singing, what child is this? And of Life. course, this was before cell phones. So it's not like anybody could right, get a hold yeah, of you. Exactly. Right. Where are you? Where are you? Right. And we walk in and they're like, seriously, seriously. <laughs> so we go tearing backstage and we walk out on stage. The lights come up. But we've been blinded by the snow outside, right? So our eyes have not adjusted. And we walk out singing, what child is this? So we're walking out and <laughs> Lynette trips over a platform. I fell on top of her. <laughs> and so it sounded like this. What child is... <laughs> it was so stupid. And then another night we were singing that song and we got to the end. The babe, the son of Mary, right? Mm-hmm. And Lynette goes, the babe, the son of Mary. 
And I go, I look at her and Rob, (laughs) Rob Baker's backstage. And he says, (laughs) 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 so anyway, we didn't perform that. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. But then we did the whiz together at the, at the playhouse. She was, uh, uh, the crazy, witch. I can't remember. I was Glenda and she was, what's the, Adderall. Okay. She was Adderall and I was Glenda. We did that, and that was fun. Charles Jones, you know, directed that, and he had this thing where we came out together in a phone booth because I think AT&T had helped to sponsor the thing or stuff there, Northwestern Bell, whoever was it. So he crammed us in this phone booth. <laughs> and we had to come out and kind of get out of this phone booth. It was crazy, but anyway. So, yeah, no, that wasn't our first time. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but this was the first time we had to be like, very focused. And, well, no, we should have been focused. Well, sure. Time, right. <laughs> but it was, there was so much dialogue and it was so intense. And then Susie Collins had made video and, and still pictures that went with what we were saying. So it was very important that we stayed on, on our dialogue, you know. But literally, it was like each of us memorizing a 40-page monologue between the two of us trying to. And so it was, uh, it was difficult, but, you know, it, we liked it. It was fun. It was... Meaningful because we had both, I mean, we were sisters, playing sisters. We had a civil rights history, you know, so um, it was kind of another perfect storm. And they ended up making a lot of money on it because I think it was because it was sisters playing sisters that had a civil rights background and then people got to come or people came for that and then they heard the story of the of the actual sisters that, you know, the, the story is about. So it was uh, fun. But I, I have to say, all that dialogue, I think we probably did that show perfectly maybe four times (laughs) in fact one night we were doing something you could not let your mind you couldn't let it wander at all ever you know and we were sitting there and it was almost the end of the show and I thought to myself oh 10 more minutes 10 more minutes and then I didn't know where I was in the show so I'm looking at Lynette and she's looking at me I'm like oh my gosh Uh, uh, what did she just say and so I told her I said and you could get away with this because they were 101 and 103, right? Right. So I turned to her and I said, well, I got something to say. And as soon as I, as soon as I think of it, I will let you know. <laughs> and so she turned to the audience and said, I think we're going to be here a while. <laughs> and so they all fell out laughing. And then it gave me enough time to get back to where I, you know. Right. I mean, I'm sure they didn't even know that wasn't part of, part the, of the show. The show, yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's interesting when your mind wanders. Mine doesn't too much but I, I did a show once where I had to stand there and listen to another person give a monologue and I started running lines in my head oh. you know because you get in that yeah. habit of running yeah. your lines when right. you're in the shower yeah. and you're driving in your car right and it just happened and all of a sudden I found myself just running lines in my head and then I'm like what are you doing stop doing that <laughs> Did, and I would have like one line in the middle of that. And I'm like, did I miss my cue? Right, you know, and right. like, what are they saying? I know. It's just, the weirdest thing yeah, where, your, you know, where right. your brain goes. Yeah. Now, one of my funnier moments, though, was uh, when we were doing Ragtime. And there was a scene where Sarah is up with the baby up in the loft, you know, up in the attic. And it's about 10 minutes of her being up there. Well, at the time I was working at, used to be, Comscope, Lucent, AT&T, Western, like whatever. And I was a supervisor and they were running overtime. So I would have to be at work at like four in the morning to supervise. And I wouldn't leave until time to come to the theater. So I was exhausted. And this was like a Friday. And I was sitting up there with the baby and I went straight to sleep, (laughs) straight to sleep. And Bogus is down in the pit and he he tells this story. He said, he's, you know, looking up there and he's like, oh my God, that girl is sound asleep. I was so asleep that I almost fell off the chair. And when I did that, I woke up and I'm like, what is happening? It was literally a measure before I had to stand up and sing. But I did. (laughs) I don't know if anybody else could say they fell asleep on stage. (laughs) The beauty of life theater. And working like a dog, you know. Let's talk a little bit about your one-woman show okay. or shows, shows yeah, yeah, and your jazz bands. Now, how did we transition from doing musical theater to focusing more on music right. and, and starting your band? Yeah, well, so I used to sing with De Meister Singers, which is now, I don't know what they're called now, something else, but, you know, so we, you know, it was just choral singing, which I love and I need to get back to, but I don't know, I can't commit to anything anymore. 
in that group, I met Chuck Pennington. And Chuck Pennington was this great composer, conductor, and he all played for everybody. I mean, this guy was, you know. Recently passed away. Recently passed away. And he just, I met him at a rehearsal, and I think I might have had a solo in that concert or something. And he started hiring me to sing with his band for different things. I toured with the Nelson Riddle Orchestra with him. He was the one responsible for that. And with him, I got to sing for like Bill Gates and I mean, all these different people, because if anybody was anybody, they called Chuck Pennington to to do the thing. So we worked together for about 22 years. And so in that time I started doing, so he is the one that started encouraging me to do the one woman show. So together we created a show where I sang you know, pivotal or important songs of the 20th century. I started back with Bessie Smith and made it went all the way up to like Whitney Houston or something like that. And so we would, we would do that for you know for uh, shows. And then there were some other things along the line. I did a I did a show with Jill Anderson one time, which was similar to that. We did that at UNO, and we also did it at uh, the Blue Barn. So just you know different themes over time. And then my latest one has been the Streisand tribute that people really like. And you know I don't sound anything like her, but but I understand her phrasing and her interpretation of the songs, and people just love those songs, you know. So that's just kind of just kind of evolved into that thing. So I feel like I, I feel like I want to. I'm trying to do all everything that I want to do, you know. I mean, for musical theater, I still love that. And if a role would come up that that I felt like I wanted to commit to, that would be worth the effort. I definitely would would still go out for that. But in the meantime, I have my little band and I've recorded the three CDs and, um, you know, we travel with the Nebraska Arts Council sometimes. And, and like I said, well, I have this upcoming uh, trip to Germany that we're, we're putting together for a, a, a festival that they have there. So it's just, I don't know, things just come and it's just, it's just awesome. I feel so blessed. Tell me a little bit about your CDs and how exciting that is to to record something that people are going to buy. I know, it's you crazy, know? Yeah. yeah. And you know, you do, well, like, you know, because it's independent and you just do CD Baby and they put it out everywhere. So it's always iTunes, Amazon, and you see people have streamed or downloaded stuff there and they're in the in the Sweden somewhere, you know, and it's like, that is so, oh, that's so bizarre. But um, so my first one, Go Forward, it's a spiritual one. It's an inspirational CD and because I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to get my first fruits to God. And I tell you, when I, and I always bring it, you know, I still have some and I <clears throat> bring it to all my stuff. Sometimes that'll sell more than anything and people will come back and want more, um, which I just think is so interesting because it's not necessarily, you know, just a, a neutral thing. But I also have had people say, uh, before I made this last one, uh, do you have any CDs? I'm like, yeah, I have an inspirational one and a Christmas one. And they're like, well, nobody wants that. That's, I'm not into Jesus. <laughs> 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 Which is what prompted me to make this last one, because I thought, you know, it's always good to have product where, wherever you go. And songs on that one are really the ones that resonated the most with people when, I, when the band and I would play places. So we just decided to, to put them down. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun, but it's hard recording. And it takes me about a year to be able to listen to it without being critical, because <laughs> I can hear everything that I hate more than I can hear that it's decent, you know. <laughs> Everyone hates their own voice, right. I think, is what they say. Yeah, yeah. They're not used to hearing themselves. Right. So, The Omaha Black Musicians Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That had to have been one of the most exciting moments. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was awesome. And I didn't know that I had gotten it until till after. <laughs> <laughs> and that was back in 2015? Uh, yeah, yeah, something. No, that was before that. 2015 okay. was the nomination to the, you know, for Omaha. Okay. Entertainment for uh, jazz. No, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was at a parade because I was part of the 100 Black Women and somebody came up and said, you were not, you weren't at the ceremony last night. You won the. <laughs> so you found out about it after, after the fact. After, right? They didn't let you know. <laughs> no. I think somebody was supposed to tell somebody was supposed to tell somebody was supposed to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it would have been really exciting had I been there. And I'm happy that, you know, my name is is a part of that. But, yeah, it was pretty funny. I want to take a moment and talk about your cancer journey, if you don't mind. Oh, no, yeah, I'm fine with that. So your mom had passed away from brain cancer. Uh And then 
what kind of cancer did you have? Tell me about your journey with that. Yeah, it was stage two breast cancer. And I just went in for my regular checkup. And I had noticed that there was some weird thing going on. I thought it was my skin. I thought it was just old and <laughs> whatever. So I went in for my regular checkup and they said, she said, well, you know, we need to check that out. But I'd, I had two cysts or tumors before that. So whatever going on in my body, they just, you know, whatever. And they had just biopsied, removed them, you know. But so this was uh, cancer. And so I was supposed to have surgery. And, you know, and they told me the size of it meant it was a mastectomy, not I couldn't do a lumpectomy or anything. And uh, so I'm like, okay. So the surgery is coming up. This was in 2013. It's supposed to be coming up in June. So I'm at church and we had all these visiting pastors and when this one was from Africa and in the middle of the service, he stood up and he said, somebody here has breast cancer. Well, I was the only one there that had breast cancer and God is dealing with that or healing that or I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, okay. So I kind of stopped for a a while and I thought, well, if God is dealing with this, do I need to have this surgery? What, you know, what, I don't know what to do because I believe he heals, you know? So I just sort of was debating, debating, debating back and forth. And I went to, first of all, I didn't, I really didn't like the doctor that the surgeon, he was very cold and told me I had some kind of cancer and he wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it in his pocket and told me I could Google it if I wanted to know more information. I'm like, yeah, really? So I was already not high on him as it was. I just felt like God was telling me to cancel the surgery, you know, and once I decided to do it, it was like, I was relieved, like, you know, that was what I was supposed to do. So I called and canceled the surgery. And of course, this, they were weird. This woman told me, well, you know, it's all throughout your body, which really, no. She was trying to scare me into having the surgery. It was right. just ridiculous. So anyway, the best way of doing that? Yeah, right. And I'm like, I told her, I said, well, if I think God is healing what I think it is, then if it's all throughout my body, he'll heal that too. Um, so I canceled the surgery. And then I have a good friend who I went to high school with, uh, who's a nurse, and she heard that I had canceled the surgery, and people were kind of freaking out about it. And she's, you know, she kept calling. And so I finally met with her, and she said, well, you, you know, God works through doctors. And I said, well, I know that. That's why I know I have cancer, because, you know, I'm not saying that he doesn't work through doctors. I just don't know exactly what he's doing, and I feel like I'm, you know... So she said, well, I have another doctor who's got a lot of faith, and I think that, you know, she's, you should just go see her. And I said, okay, well, I'll go see her. She said, I'll make the appointment. So my friend made my appointment to make sure that I got there. This woman was awesome. Her name is Dr. Uh, Grange, and she's over at Midlands. And I went in there, and I told her my whole faith story, which is takes a lot of courage to do that because people think you're crazy, you know. She just listened nicely, and she said, well, you know, Regardless of what the reason is, if you're not ready to have surgery, your body, you're never going to heal. So, and then she said, and I'm looking at your records, she said, you've had this cancer for a really long time. It's very slow growing. So I'll put you on some hormone blockers and let's see if we can shrink it down. So I was on hormone blockers for six months. And then she came, you know, I went to see her and she was checking it every few months. And then she said, well, it's, I think it's shrunk as much as it's going and we still have to do the surgery. This was like December. I said, well, I don't really have time right now. And so she said, well, I was thinking January. I said, well, and I was doing all night strut at the playoffs. I said, well, and I was teaching this, directing this thing at the Rose with the tea program. I said, I I just really, I don't have time. She said, well, when were you thinking? I said, April. (laughs) After taxi. Right. (laughs) And she was like, okay. By this time she was used to me, right? So she said, well, let me do, let me take you through a series of scans to make sure there's no other cancer anywhere. And so she did. And it was, it was just still in that spot. So April 3rd, I went in and I had the cancer. And between the time I had the scans and the surgery, another cancer had grown. So I ended up having to have chemo and radiation um, because of this other cancer. But, you know, I went through it. I wasn't ever afraid. I thought, you know, God's got this. And if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And I feel like I've lived so much longer than my parents. I'm grateful for every day. And, you know, I had chemo parties. I would invite people to come and sit with me for three hours. I used to have 10 or 15 people there and we'd just have a party and people would bring their machines over and sit with us and... We had fun. Well, I remember. I remember we were friends on Facebook, and I remember yeah. the the calling out for your prayer warriors. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you had a whole group of people right. that were praying all the time and sending praying cards all and, the time. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it was it was awesome, you know. And I would just keep everybody. And I thought, you know, Facebook was the perfect medium to a talk about my faith, 
B, educate people on what it is to go through this, and also to just be completely transparent in whatever emotions and things that come up. So most of my posts were real positive, but some of them were like, Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit today, you know, but mostly they were funny because the reactions I would get, because I never wore a wig, you know, I just wore my big bald head out. See, and I think that, <laughs> I think that's just beautiful. There's a wonderful picture on your website. It's a video. Oh, It's a video of you and the screenshot from YouTube is you with your beautiful you know your beautiful bald head and I'm like yeah she really just kept going during during that whole whole process I guess I and remember that you were in the middle of doing a show at the playhouse at the time yeah yeah but you know I didn't miss anything I kept singing I kept you know whatever I never felt bad in fact when I would go to the doctor and they would do blood tests and, and my doctor was like your white's blood cell count is getting better and that doesn't happen when you're going through chemo. It usually, in fact, they want you to wear the mask and all that kind of stuff. And I was out amongst people, and I, it was, you know, it really. Other than the fact I kept gaining weight, that was. <laughs> they put steroids in chemo now. I started. I started off weighing like 137 pounds. By the time I got done, I was 154 pounds. I was more upset about that than the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids how many kids do you have I have two do they follow you in the performance world do they do they sing do they perform are they musicians my daughter has a beautiful voice and she only sings at church now I used to drag her out to sing with the band but she hated it uh, a lot they're very I don't know these kids who are they they think that I'm ridiculous (laughs) because I they are not outgoing at all. They're very introverted. And so it annoys them. You know, if we're out together, my daughter would say, Mom, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say, you know, because like, uh, can I say hi? Uh, anyway, they're very funny. But anyway, my daughter's got a gorgeous voice and she sings at church and she even makes CDs and gives them to people at church. They're very beautiful songs. She'll take she'll take pop songs and turn them into a faith song. Justin Timberlake had this song, which is one of my favorites. Anyway, so she just twists the words a little bit. She'll take like an NDRE song and twist the words a little bit and turn it into a whole beautiful faith thing. And my son doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he's like his dad, I think. He just, they, he thinks he has nothing. I think I ruined them by dragging them to rehearsals when they were little. They got sick of it before they were like eight years old. <laughs> and your husband's a pastor, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he can't sing either. No. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, when he first time he heard me sing was at Xavier was the magic flute and I was playing Papagena. And he he always tells a story because you know that song is you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, Is she doing that with her mouth? How does that <laughs> <laughs> He was so not exposed to, to that stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna steal a little bit from inside the actor's studio here. Okay. James Lipton always liked to end his broadcast with asking his guests some questions. And I found those questions and some that he stole from other people. So okay. we're just gonna, <laughs> just keep going. So we're just going to keep going. We'll just go off of some of this. If you didn't live in Omaha, where would you like to live? I like warm climates, but I really love New York a lot. I've never been there for probably long enough time to get sick of it, but I just love the activity of it and the hustle and the bustle. So probably if I could pick a place, I would, first of all, I would have to have $90 million and and then move there and live in some really cool apartment. What is your idea of earthly happiness? Oh, that's a good, earthly happiness. You know, my thing is always connected to my faith. So I I always feel like because of my faith, I just have an underlying joy, which then gives me earthly happiness. Because even though I'm on earth, my, my treasures are not about the earth. It's about being what Christ is to the world, you know? So... What makes me happy on earth is actually being connected spiritually, which is not about the earth at all. But I, I feel like because of Jesus, I just have an underlying joy that, that keeps me happy on earth, if that makes any sense. Who is your favorite musician besides you? <laughs> 
Oh, I don't know. There's so many in so many different categories, you know. I love jazz stuff. So I mean, of course, Streisand is my favorite singer. But I also love, like, you know, I thought Whitney Houston had a fabulous voice. I'm a big David Sanborn fan. Um, locally, there's a saxophone player that I get to work with, Chad Stoner, who's fabulous. The guy that I work with, David Murphy, is a fabulous keyboard player. So, I mean, there's so many, and they're so in different categories, you know. It's hard to, like, just name one because I like so many different different people and then you know in the christian realm there's people there so it's like i don't know i can't pick (laughs) what is your favorite color i think it's green i don't know why it used to be blue but lately lately, i'm like (laughs) (laughs) who are your heroes in real life oh in real life let's see well i would say jesus he was real life but i think my parents were my are my heroes because they were just strong good confident people that worked hard to make the world better so that would they would be at the top of my list as far as you know people to look up to if you could go back in time and meet anyone who would you like to meet oh let's see you know i used to always want to meet want to meet marie antoinette (laughs) I just felt sorry for her somehow. I don't know. (laughs) That's a stupid answer. (laughs) But I'm sure there's other people. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, you know, actually, I would love to meet the woman that was um, sort of the matriarch of the Matoyer family. Her name was Teresa Conque. She was an African slave that was owned by a man named Louis Matoyer, who came from France, Metoyer. And they lived together and had children together, but it was illegal, so they, you know, couldn't get married because she was, you know, whatever. And then he eventually just gave her her freedom, and she moved to another part, built a plantation, and she was at one point the most successful entrepreneur in Louisiana. She grew indigo leaves and sold them overseas in Europe, and they were, very, you know, they were very, they were uh, sort of an aristocratic family. But she was the the matriarch of it. And I think that it would have been very interesting to to meet her. She had to be a very strong, independent woman, black woman in America. You know, I mean, she had a plantation. She actually had slaves on her plantation. But yeah, I think I would, if I had the chance, I would, I'd love to talk to her. What's your favorite word? My favorite word? Ooh. I don't think I have a favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> what profession other than your own, would you not like to attempt? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a ton of those. Let's see. (laughs) I would not like to attempt anything that involved math. (laughs) (laughs) Although I would wish I, I wish I could conquer that. You know, people tell me, I wish I could sing like you. And I always say, I wish I could do math. (laughs) Everybody has their gifts, right? But yeah, I don't know. Let me think. Oh, I don't know. There's, there's jobs out there that are just horrible i can't even i'm trying to think of what one would be i don't know i'll think of it tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) addendum (laughs) right what would you like to hear god say when you arrived at the pearly gates i would love to hear him say my faithful servant well done camille thank you so much for being on the podcast i appreciate it Thank you for having me. This was fun. It's always good to see you. So there it's you good go. to see you too. <laughs> let's do coffee. Yes, let's do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyoufivepod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five.